Welcome to the Democracy Group, a network of podcasts about democracy, civic engagement, and civil discourse. In this feed, you will find a sampling of episodes from our podcast and the Democracy Group, as well as recordings from our events. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please visit democracygroup.org to find more like this. Now let's get to our featured episode. Welcome to Democracy Matters. I'm your co-host, Kara Ong-Whaley. I'm Logan Ziegler, Program Coordinator at JMU Civic. This is Abraham Goldberg, Director of JMU Civic and Faculty Member in the Department of Political Science here at James Madison University. And joining us today is Ian Simmons. He is co-founder and principal of Blue Haven Initiative. He's been a champion and practitioner of impact investing for two decades and is particularly passionate about pursuing solutions to complex challenges, including full participation in our democracy, clean energy, and affordable housing. Thank you so much for joining us, Ian. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Ian, we wanted to start off um, just asking you about the role that investors have to play in strengthening democracy. What are ways in which investors can do that, and um, and why should they be concerned about strengthening our democracy? I also want to just say thanks for having me here. It's, it's great to great to be here again. Um, but it, investors absolutely have a role to play in strengthening democracy. It's important for the long term because democracies don't go to war against each other as often. And they also uh, create stronger economies, but they have a role to play very specifically on things like national security. We need to get off of oil uh, reliance, especially upon uh, autocratic regimes um, that destabilizes economies for the long term and uh, helps induce situations like we're seeing with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, you know, Putin's right now literally holding Europe over a barrel. You know, it was it was known decades ago that the uh, Russian holding Germany uh, by this lifeline of gas was going to be a, a, a weak point for a global security. And uh, the Ukrainians are certainly paying the price. And uh, as a global economic community, we do try to avoid those situations in the future. Um, we're at Blue Haven really investing in renewable energy um, from solar panels in New Hampshire to pay-as-you-go solar in sub-Saharan Africa. We've been doing it for, for a long time. Um, and we're also advocate for better approach to, to climate risk. So uh, companies are uh, forced to account for the, the risks they're incurring uh, through, their, through their climate emissions. You know, another role investors have to play is limit foreign spending in elections. Uh, as an investor... Uh, I noticed how it was possible for companies with foreign investors to write checks to politicians. And, and that is not just you know, morally not good, but it also creates a um, situation where it gets confusing. Who's making policy here? And that in the long run results in less accountability, more corruption, and uh, slower economic growth and less inclusive economic growth. Um, we can ensure that foreign shareholders are not participating in U.S. elections, and investors need to use their voice to um, uh, back uh, legislation to uh, create uh, clear fences uh, in our politics, which in the long term creates um, uh, more sustainability in our economy. Um, Another thing investors can do is really advocate for strong information. Uh, NewsGuard recently identified 172 Russia-Ukraine disinformation sites 
and track the top false narratives that they are uh, publishing about the war in Ukraine. Uh, and investors can invest in companies like NewsGuard and also um, uh, uplift uh, media standards to ensure that the public's making better uh, decisions uh, and we're producing false information. And, you know, at some level, we need to make sure that democracy is strengthened uh, for future generations because it is the, the best path to a peaceful world, which is a more economically successful world in addition to being uh, the path to a less violent world, which is also better for people. So it's not just the morally right thing to do. It's also in our long-term economic self-interest. You just mentioned the importance of keeping foreign money out of elections. Can you share the work you're doing on that front? Yes. Well, Representative Raskin just introduced a bill in December called the Get Foreign Money Out Act that would ensure that companies with uh, 5% or more foreign ownership or any one percent, any single foreign owner uh, couldn't write checks to politicians. In theory, you know, companies with any foreign owner shouldn't write checks to politicians. But um, uh, this legislation would be uh, established an important uh, standard for that. And um, the the challenge a little bit is you have some companies like Uber that have the Saudi royal family with seats on the board, and they're messing around in local elections. And you know, in in, in our view, um, foreign investors like the Saudi royal family shouldn't be um, participating in any way in ballot initiatives um, or in in elections to public officials. So um, we need to draw a clear, bright line there to ensure that, you know, Americans are making American economic policy and and it's not being confused by the profit-making incentive of, of those who are overseas. And when it comes to strengthening democracy, you've also spoken about ways in which universal voting can help with that. Can you please speak to your support for universal voting and what that means? A while back, my my wife uh, brought up this point with me. You know, her her family, her her mom's family is from Australia, and they were wondering why I was spending so much time in voter registration because in Australia, everyone who's eligible is required to vote. And like, isn't that just a big waste of time? Well. I thought about it and I kind of agreed with with uh, my wife, Liesl, about this, is that it actually is a big waste of time to put so much energy into voter registration. Everyone should just be required to, to vote. It's not just more efficient that way. It actually creates a more accountable uh, political leadership because they're accountable to all the voters as opposed to uh, as opposed to just some of them. Um, but more interestingly, it's really also an important national security measure, because as we've seen in 2016, the uh, Russian government meddled in our elections. And one of their top strategies was to discourage Americans from participating in American elections. And if we have a policy of uh, ensuring what we may call civic duty voting or universal voting uh, that ensures Americans are required to vote, um, that would mean that the, these strategies would be much less effective. Uh, the discouragement would not be seen as a legitimate uh, tactic in, in the public sphere. Um, so just to ensure sure reduced chance of foreign meddling and foreign alt- altering of our election results, um, having uh, universal voting would be helpful. Um, in addition, it really promotes civic unity. 
right now there are a lot of wars going on and who should be voting and who shouldn't be. And, you know, and once you're a citizen and have the right to vote, there shouldn't be much more discussion about that. We should be encouraging everyone to participate. And politicians are wasting a lot of time fighting each other um, about who's included and who's not um, and who we're going to try to make it easier to vote and harder to vote. And if we have a policy that it's like jury duty, just requiring everyone to show up and vote, um, then there will be uh, a lot less political energy spent on all these these uh, partisan battles uh, and a lot more energy spent on on encouraging each other to, to show up. Um, it also would be a, a signal signal of, of how much America is really committed to democracy and freedom that this would be part of the process. And again, it would work. You could, and under your voting, you don't just say have to vote for any particular politician. You can vote for none of the above, Huffin, or, or, uh, or uh, you know, choose, a, choose another option. You know, it doesn't require a constitutional amendment to, to make this happen. Um, and it's already working in places like Australia and, and Belgium. So, you know, we believe that it's the, a, a good reform. It can be done at the local, state, and federal level in many places. And um, it's definitely one um, that uh, voters and politicians be looking at as we move forward to the next 250 years of, of the American Republic. Ian, in working with young people, I think a great deal about how much more efficient we could be in our work if everybody already was registered to vote so that we could focus on things like public policy, public issues, and decision-making. But it seems like so much energy is placed on voter registration. I sometimes wonder if it detracts from what emphasis we could have on political learning. Absolutely. Uh, the focus should be on students learning what it means to participate in democracy and not on all the technicalities of how do I you know, get registered. In many cases, registration systems were set up specifically to make it hard for young people to show up and vote. <laughs> so one, one reason for universal voting is to call the question, do we really believe we're in a country where everyone should be participating or are we trying to create a, a country where we're discouraging some people from showing up? A lot of our registration systems contribute to that discouragement. Um, and that's just not the right way to, to run a country. So if we really want to be uh, creating a country where we all count, um, we should be pushing for universal voting because that unquestionably uh, creates that culture. You have significantly invested in ensuring that youth can participate in democracy. Um, I wonder, and, and, and also other um, typically or, or historically more marginalized uh, populations, um, I wonder what you see as both challenges and ways we can innovatively approach engaging young people um, and, and other historically marginalized groups as we approach the midterms this year and then the next presidential election cycle. Well, I think one approach is to ensure every institution that touches young people has a plan on how to engage them. So that can be high schools, colleges, cities, even um, the National League of Cities is uh, starting to talk more about the role of mayors in lowering barriers to participation and creating their own plans to improve voting in their city. And our encouragement to them has been to uh, ensure in those plans, there are robust programs to engage young people. So instead of seeing voting as something that young people have to figure their own way about how to do it, um, in a democracy, we should be welcoming each generation and teaching them not who to vote for, but but how, but how to vote. You know how to how to make the time to do it, um, how to cast a ballot, and and how to do it in a way that's complying with the law. 
um, young people really experience this friction when they're starting something new like voting. Hey, what's legal? You know, how do I make sure I'm properly registered? Um, you know, if I'm registered to vote in uh, my home state, how do I switch it to the state where I'm a student at or vice versa? Uh, they have a lot of legitimate questions and we need to answer those questions. But a big part of that process is doing it early. And uh, another big part of the process is showing what kind of difference student votes can make. So in political science research keeps affirming when students show up to vote, uh, politicians respond more often. And young people need to hear those positive messages that actually over time their vote really does matter. You and your wife are in favor of a wealth tax on the richest Americans, one you would have to pay. Recognizing that Joe Manchin doesn't support President Biden's plan, what do you think of Biden's billionaire tax? Well, big picture is that America is stronger when we have a tax code that strengthens the economy and uh, a tax code that strengthens the economy is one where uh, those who are financially successful are paying it forward and, and paying their, their share of taxes. Um, currently, the effective tax rate for, for billionaires, and I'm not a billionaire, but the effective tax for billionaires is uh, only about 8%. Uh, according to the, the White House, uh, whereas you know many teachers and firefighters and small business people are paying tax rates of twenty percent and higher, so it doesn't seem to make sense when the those who can afford to pay it most and have have built so much of their their wealth upon the infrastructure and the national defense the country's provided for them are paying relatively less in taxes. Um, you know, my wife and I would be subject to many of the, the wealth tax proposals out there, as well as the you know, even the latest um, income tax proposal from President Biden. Um, there, a couple of weeks ago, the president proposed a billionaire's uh, minimum income tax that would ensure not just billionaires, but also other uh, wealthy taxpayers would have to pay taxes on, on all their income. Uh, not just a dividend income or salary income. And in fact, the ultra wealthy and billionaires earn most of their income from investment gains. So the idea here is that if you're not paying sufficient taxes from your investment gains, you'd, you'd have to pay the difference between that and up to that 20% level. Um, and uh, you'd have multiple years to pay it off, but at least it would ensure that the wealthiest are paying more of their share in taxes. The good news on Joe Manchin is that he actually prioritized the tax reform. And last fall, when another billionaire tax proposal came out, he initially threw cold water on it. And then three months later, he was writing a memo to the president saying he was open to the idea. And so this time around, he threw a little cold water on the, the idea, but he's not firmly opposed. He just, you know, I think he has questions around you know, how, you, how you do the, the tax, uh, which would be you know, upon um, investment income that hasn't yet been taxed, uh, also known as uh, unrealized gains. Um, I think I think uh, Joe Manchin could be persuaded on this this one as he as he studies the the tax code. Um, the uh, um, his his claim his claim when the proposal first came out was that somehow uh, it, it wasn't taxing. Uh, earned income, but I think if you ask Jeff Bezos, he would probably say he feels he he earned his uh, the increase in his wealth due to his work to build Amazon. So 
it'd be news to most entrepreneurs who've done very well that somehow they didn't earn their investment income. So um, I think upon reflection, he'll uh, he'll eventually come around. Um, and so I'm optimistic on that on that one. I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow, <laughs> but it's a you know it's also just a strong contrast right now. I mean, we have you know Russia's the failed state that it is partly because we have a kleptocracy where a lot of their billionaires are allowed to uh, you know shield their wealth from effective taxation by the state. And you know what in theory should distinguish America is that you know we require all Americans to step for uh, step up for America in some way, shape, or form, uh, especially when they can. Um, so I'm optimistic that we'll get there. I mean, it's important to note that our majority of Republican voters are already in favor of the president's proposal of a billionaire's minimum income tax. Um, it's favored by two to one among voters. And, um, and those who hear arguments against it are, uh, are very unlikely to change their viewpoint where those who are arguments for it, who are already opposed already, um, are much more likely to shift their viewpoint. So I think it's just going to get further positive momentum. Um, you know, it's one of those bipartisan solutions that whose time is, is, has come. And, you know, we've been excited to be supportive of, of that work and the polling and, and research and organizing on that. And, you know, I think even though, uh, we would you know, pay more taxes under that proposal, we feel that it's be, be good for the country. Um, and it's a sign of a, of a strong country that ensures uh, those who are the most successful are are really fully part of it. Ian Simmons, co-founder and principal of Blue Haven Initiative. We ask this final question of all of our guests. What would you do to strengthen democracy? My top priority to strengthen democracy would be to ensure we pass proposals like the president's uh, billionaire's minimum income tax. Um, this country was founded upon the need for tax reform <laughs> and the, the problems with the way taxes were going down in the 18th century. And it hasn't lost that spirit. So when our tax system is in trouble, our democracy is in trouble. Um, by by ensuring you know billionaires and ultra millionaires are paying their their share of taxes, we can afford to invest in things that make our country stronger. You know, like uh, infrastructure and childcare and and uh, uh, education system that can compete with Europe and China. Um, the other parts. One of the other things I do to strengthen democracy is continue to double down on young people. Uh, there's been historic increases in youth participation in our democracy in 2018 and 2020. And I'm optimistic that um, over the next 20 years, we'll be able to maintain an upward trend. Who knows about any one election cycle? But uh, you know, young people have showed when we uh, encourage their participation and, and join with them that they, that they respond. Definitely, I believe we need to keep foreign money out of U.S. politics. Many people don't realize how much foreign money is in U.S. politics and how much uh, corporations with foreign investors are, are spending in our elections already. And that just needs to, to be put to a stop. Um, so it's, it's only Americans uh, funding American elections. And um, I think making progress on our fundamental priorities uh, like an inclusive economy, uh, an education system works for everyone, and uh, making real progress on climate change are important. Um, it's it's important that the citizens see that the together we can do big things, and you know, creating inclusive economy, 
uh, restoring self-governance, making progress on uh, global risks like climate change, and welcoming the next generation to continue and strengthen our traditions of American democracy to be uh, my top priorities. So as a, you know, with your, with you and your wife, both being prominent impact investors, where do you see some of the most innovative solutions coming? Yes, we've been doing impact investing for over 10 years now. And, you know, looking across asset classes to invest in positive solutions, as well as avoiding uh, investments that would uh, generate problems for the, for the country and the world. So, we, you know, avoid, for example, we, you know, avoid investing in coal and double down in renewable energy. Um, but for impact investing, you know, it's, it's really bigger than where you invest your money. It's about using all your available resources to create impact, um, like advocating for rules that create stronger markets or a stronger democracy. Um, so we can be better at solving the big problems that we all face. So, you know, in our view, impact investors shouldn't be just placing resources. They should be advocating for markets and policies that would create stronger economies for the long term. And and of course, you know, doing their part in in direct charitable work um, when there's a crisis or when there's a a problem that private capital is best used to to fix. But um, in impact investing to get to the next level and impact investing at its best is not just writing a check, but uh, getting involved in, in uh, leadership and, um, and direct action for change. But in your response to um, the final question of what you would do to strengthen democracy, you mentioned creating and or, or fostering an education system that serves everyone. Can you speak more to what that means to you? Yes, I think as someone who is actually certified as a public school teacher, uh, I've dedicated a lot of my life to thinking about how do we improve education? And it's not just education is a nice thing, but it's essential for us to govern ourselves well. We all need to learn a little bit more about how do we work together to solve our problems um, and how do we create lives that are sustainable so we can you know, grow our families and make the world a little bit better for our kids and for future generations. Um, so education is something that at its best requires a commitment to involving everyone, not just getting a good degree yourself, but ensuring that everyone in your community, everyone in your country um, has what they need to to have the learning that's sufficient to uh, tackle the the problems of today. Um, That it's it's a little unfortunate. It's how much we live in a, a world with such unequal access to good education um, and having as someone who's worked in in uh, first grade and fourth grade ninth grade and 12th grade classrooms as well as in colleges and universities I'm really blown away by the talents of young people but also see how much unequal resources um, impacts the lives of and the educational potential of, of students so um, 
we have a long way to go. Right now, the United States, for instance, is, is far behind many of its peers in doing some of the basics like ensuring high quality uh, childcare and pre-K uh, education. That's a really a prerequisite to uh, education in the 21st century. Um, you need to make sure that, that uh, all kids are benefiting best from best quality education. And not just for the sake of that kid, but for the sake of society. You know, it's, uh, it's helpful to have an economy with, with more workers who are, that are educated and they're able to come up with solutions faster to the economic and political challenges we face. Ian, thank you so much for joining us on Democracy Matters. We really appreciate all the work you are doing to strengthen our democracy. Thank you so much for, for having me here. I really appreciate all you're doing to continue the conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Democracy Group. If you want more podcasts like this, then visit democracygroup.org. There you will find our events, topics, and a newsletter as well. So head on over to democracygroup.org.